All right, welcome back. It's uh, 327 here on the Blitz 1170. It's streaming live on the Blitz 1170 app. I hope everyone has had a, a wonderful day so far. We have Dusty Dvorak coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. A snack for you at 445 later on today as well. Tulsa basketball, as you heard Scott say, in the uh, two-minute drill is coming your way. 5.30 tonight over on Big Country 99.5 with the 6 o'clock start over at the Reynolds Center. It's the uh, coaches versus cancer game with Wichita State coming to town and former ORU head coach Paul Mills. Uh, okay. We could take this segment and run down Oklahoma State from last night, but what's the point? with what we witnessed last night. We'll get to Oklahoma's win, which was impressive over Kansas State, coming up here in a bit as well. But I would like to do something a little bit different here for just one segment or so. Um, I ran across this post, and it got me to thinking with the upcoming Super Bowl. And the post that I saw was, we are celebrating something that happened 25 years ago on this date that didn't quite change the game as far as what happens on Super Bowl Sunday, but it did play a very important role in the continued efforts to make the NFL's broadcast of the Super Bowl all-encompassing and a one-stop shop for an entertainment extravaganza. An American holiday. And there's so much noise that's out there right now about this entity is ruining football. This entity is doing that. Why are you ruining the game that I love to watch on television when the sport has been on television? The American pastime probably since the 60s, it continues to grow year over year over year, a football game in the stadium is a game. A football game on television is an entertainment spectacle. It's why so many people decide to tune in on a weekly basis to NFL games and the numbers get even larger when we move throughout the playoffs and the Super Bowl is its own separate animal. And the NFL, amongst all the entities, was kind of one of the first ones to really realize this and wrap their arms around it when they got punched in the mouth on a day that is supposed to be sacred in this country. So what I'm speaking of today is the 25th anniversary of when WWE gave us halftime heat on Super Bowl Sunday. That's when they had the world champion Rock and Mankind wrestle in an empty arena during halftime of the freaking Super Bowl in January of 1999. This was right in the height of the Attitude Era. And WWF Sunday Night Heat was kind of an afterthought, even for us wrestling dorks. Like, okay, all right. But wrestling was so big at the time that they were able to actually pull a 6.6 rating at halftime of the Super Bowl 25 years ago for a wrestling match. And they had a lot of buildup that went into this to try to take away any type of momentum that was happening from the Super Bowl and whatever they were putting on at halftime. But you got to go back and trace the history of the Super Bowl halftime shows 
even before that. This year, Usher is playing. I, I understand it's Usher. Uh, but Usher and the Apple halftime music extravaganza, and who knows who else will be playing with Usher, is just another long line of entertainment that the league has partnered with all these entities before it was Pepsi. Now it's Apple music of trying to keep your eyeballs and keep the non-traditional football fans glued to the television. But man, there is a pretty important date in the history of the Super Bowl broadcast that everyone should remember. And that date is January 26, 1992. Let me give you the halftime rundown of some of the Super Bowls prior to that. January, we don't have to go all the way back. Up with people. But January 22nd, 1984, University of Florida and the Florida State marching bands performed. The next year, something called Tops in Blue, which is, I think, like uh, an Air Force. Yes, it was a touring performance of an ensemble made up of active duty members of the United States Air Force formed in 1953. They traveled to more than 20 countries to perform 120 times each year. The year after that, up with people, like Scott just talked about. Then in 87, it's George Burns, Mickey Rooney, and the Grambling State <laughs> University Band. Like, what, what, in the, what in the hell is that? I have no idea. The following year, Chubby Checker and the Rockettes and the 88 Grand Piano, along with the San Diego State Marching Band. After that... The something uh, Elvis Presto, which is an Elvis impersonator. They had an Elvis impersonator do the halftime show of the Super Bowl in 1989, along with um, South Florida area dancers and performers. 1980, Pete Fontaine, Doug Kershaw, Nickel State University, and SMU's marching band were the halftime entertainment. And this is where things started to change a little bit in 91. New Kids on the Block performed in 91. Giant, giant group at that time. But they mixed it with Walt Disney characters that were on the field at the same time. And Warren Moon and 2,000 local children that were in audience that were part of a card stunt that they were doing. Friend of the show. Yes, friend of the show. 1992, though, it was Gloria Stefan with a tribute to Olympic figure skaters Brian Boitano and Dorothy Hamill and members of the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team and the University of Minnesota marching band. And after that, no more of those type of performances because the very next year it was Michael Jackson. Then it was Clint Black and Tanya Tucker and Travis Tritt and the Judds. Uh, you got Teddy Pendergrass and Tony Bennett, the Miami Sound Machine, also in 95. Got Diana Ross one year. The Blues Brothers, along with ZZ Top and James Brown in 97. Boys to Men, Smokey Robinson in 98. Gloria Stefan and Stevie Wonder uh, in 99. And then they started to get even bigger. Phil Collins, Christina Aguilera, Aerosmith and NSYNC, U2, Shania Twain with No Doubt, Janet Jackson, P. Diddy, Nelly, Kid Rock, Justin Timberlake, where we all had to take FCC tests after that from the year in, in Houston in the Super Bowl, with Paul McCartney and the Stones and Prince and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and on and on and on and on. What caused that dynamic shift? It was the television show 
in living color. In 1992, this is before Fox bid on the NFL rights that they ultimately won in 94, which is their first year, Fox was looking for counter-programming because Fox was the bad boy of television networks. You know, Fox had a lineup that was a Martin, Rock, New York Undercover, and In Living Color. And they were really starting to pick up a ton of momentum with a younger audience, especially a younger audience for African-Americans. And they decided, you know what? We're going to try to draw some attention to ourselves, and we are going to live under the bill of bad boys of television, so why don't we try to punch the biggest television event of the year straight in the mouth? So Jamie Kellner, who was the Fox president at the time, started talking about how nobody watches the halftime show. As a matter of fact, one of his comments was, the halftime show stinks. So he went to Dan McDermott, a programming executive who worked on The Living Color, and said, hey, you know what? We should do a live episode of In Living Color, and we'll make a big deal out of it, and we'll convince that, hey, America, you need to change the channel at halftime. So they went on this marketing campaign where they just blitzed all of their shows. Hey, change the channel, change the channel. Uh, Even at that point where the biggest thing in my life was to be able to go back to school every Monday after a Sunday episode of In Living Color so we could talk about it. Every single Monday, it was like, did you watch Homie the Clown? Yeah, I did. I don't think so. Homie, don't play that. I Like men on film, I was too young. I probably didn't understand the true context of what was happening there, but it was still fun. And it felt like you were watching something that you shouldn't be watching. So when they went to Keenan Ivory Wayans, he was 100% on board with the idea of a live in living color. He said, if you didn't watch the show during its original run, you might not understand about just how controversial it was at the time. Characters and jokes always crossed the acceptable lines and they were called offensive. And while the content was seen as game-changing, at the time, a live version of the, of the show kind of sent some of the TV execs into a panic about, are we sure that we really want to do that? Well, this was still a network that was trying to figure things out. They wanted to broaden their horizons. So while CBS had figure skaters like Dorothy Hamill and Brian Boitano on, what would Brian Boitano do? In Living Color, forced 20 million people at the time to change the channel away from the big game's winter magic extravaganza and gave the NFL producers an idea to never let that happen again. When they got back the numbers from seeing how many people changed their TVs when that lame-ass halftime show happened, no offense to Dorothy Hamill or Brian Boitano, but I can't think of anything worse that I would want to spend my Super Bowl Sunday viewing experience with, and flipped over to something that was edgy, something that was controversial, and quite frankly, something that was just funny and good quality entertainment, 20 million people, like, that's in a shockwave. So that was the defining moment. On that day, January 26, 1992, that the NFL was never going to let something like that happen again in the halftime shows. And other entities have tried it. Celebrity Deathmatch. Remember that? 1998. The Death Bowl 98 is what it was called. It was the first half-hour episode that aired live during the 1998 Super Bowl. January 25th, 98. 
Um, it didn't quite get the draw that a, that uh, like in Living Color got, and also WWE got at the time. But it was just another attempt to try to bring attention away from what some people thought was boring, and over to a network to watch something that was. Uh, I can't believe that we used to actually watch claymation fights on TV and think that it was cool, but hey, we did. I mean, the California Raisins were a thing at one point too, and they were they were getting unbelievable numbers, and probably a dumb little kid in Kawita buying a cassette tape or two of the California Raisins doing hits. But yeah, I just saw that today, and it's amazing to go back and watch as we're just now entering the phase of Super Bowl. And the madness that is, and mainly a, a lot of this is because I see so many complaints about, oh, the ruining of football because Taylor Swift's popular. No, 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 no. She's not doing anything to the game. The game itself has always been a source of entertainment, and Hollywood has played a specific role in the entertainment phase of what happens during a television broadcast. And it's not going to change anytime soon, and it's probably only going to continue to get worse. So that's when I saw that today, the 25th anniversary of the WWE halftime show, and then to see the numbers that pulled away from it, I thought, you know what, I need to go back and reminisce about that In Living Color episode because it was absolutely spectacular and hilarious to flip over and to see that. And I still remember doing it, sitting at home watching the Super Bowl and thinking, ah, you know what? Watching Living Color all the time. Let's flip over and watch it. And uh, for a little kid at the time, it felt like, again, I was getting away with something that I shouldn't quite frankly be watching at the time. That's amazing. I had no idea. Yeah. That, that was the genesis. Can you imagine 20 million people? Like at one time just going Wild. click yeah. and changing off of that? I mean, and like I said, I, there's a reason why I brought up all of those halftime shows prior to that. Because doesn't that sound like the absolute worst? In 1983. Chevy Checker and the San Diego State Marching Band, is that what you said earlier? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Scott, you brought up, you before you even said it, you said Up With People. Up With People. Up With People did the halftime show like five (laughs) times prior. 71, they had the Southeast Missouri State Marching Band perform. And I get it. I get it. TV at that time and what we consider to be entertainment. And I think even last year we played the uh, footage of the of the jetpack man that was they made a big deal about, hey, this guy's going to fly in a jetpack at halftime of the first Super Bowl. Uh, just doesn't quite have the same type of appeal as it does as to mega stars and mega performers every single Super Bowl putting on shows that they are spending like eight to ten million dollars of their own money. Uh, two weeks ago, I watched the documentary on the Dr. Dre uh, SoFi Stadium halftime show. Yeah, Dre spent eight and a half million dollars of his own money for that set because he knew ultimately he was going to make that back up after the after the performance happened. So yeah, we've we've come a long, long way when it comes to entertainment in football games, and that ain't ruining the Super Bowl. That's not ruining your your viewing experience either, and it's not ruining the game of football itself. Yeah, because those artists don't get paid to do halftime. No, they don't. They they don't at all. But they're gonna make it up on oh, the back yeah. end for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think Ursher has a new album that's coming out. I think so. There's there's a reason why he is doing this.
All right, it's 3.43. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back with more next year on the Blitz 1170. We want to hear from you on the Neuropathy Treatment Clinic of Oklahoma text line, 918-262-5072. That's 918-262-5072. And uh, we'll read your text live on the air, including my man Woody, who sent in <laughs> who sent in uh, a recipe to remove skunk smell off of something if that were to happen. So we'll get to that and much, much more when we come back next year on the Blitz 1170.